Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to a fresh episode of the cast. Our format today finds us walking on the weird side, discussing things in the Bible that could be defined as odd, strange, peculiar, or just downright unusual. That's right, we've come to another weird in the word. That's right, snake birds. It's awesome to be with you here today, and I hope you're ready for a fantastic Weird in the Word episode, because our topic is the Leviathan. Leviathan. And if you've never heard of the Leviathan before, you're probably thinking that sounds like, like a, a fantasy death monster, and <laughs> you just might be half right in or that Or like an a, a indie <laughs> horror movie. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, we're going to be getting into uh, what this creature is, if it was real, metaphorical, or flat-out mythological, and also, at least on my end, what the Leviathan means for us today. And I do realize that sounds very silly, because you might think, how in the world can knowledge of this creature mean anything for us today? (laughs) Wait, does this affect me now? Yeah, but if you hang with us, I'll tell you why I think the truth about Leviathan could actually be a conversation piece into um, introducing certain people to the gospel. So, uh, Josh, are you ready to rouse the topic of Leviathan? Let's go deep in this uh, <laughs> underwater issue. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even prepare puns for that. <laughs> All right. So, the Leviathan is is mentioned by name only six times throughout the Bible. And possibly referenced in a few other places Mm -hmm. as well. But um, those six places are Job 3, Job 41, Psalm 74, Psalm 104, and Isaiah 27, dose times. Twice. In Isaiah. And uh, while we're obviously, we're going to get into the God-breathed info on this uh, Leviathan, but I thought it'd be a good idea to lay out some ancient history on this creature first, because the Leviathan also makes an appearance in a Jewish midrash, as well as the ancient Canaanite records. So I wanted to touch on those points, but Mm -hmm. uh, before we get there, Joshua, what say you on the old Leviathan? You know, this has always been a fascinating subject for me because of the mysterious nature of the text and the imagery created through the description given in the Bible about the Leviathan. And I don't know why, but it just conjures up this like dark, deep ocean kind of look and like thinking about my days growing up and being afraid of Jaws and, you know, (laughs) you hear this, you know, And, and of course... I'm glad that we're getting to take this on because we're going to ask, like, what is it? Is it a sea serpent? Is it a dinosaur? Is it really uh, an earthly creature? Is it a crocodile? You know, all those things. And I yes. don't want to, I don't want to throw um, all the the spoiler juice right out in the beginning. So we got to hold that back a little bit. But man, I, I am really excited about this weird in the word. For real, you know, when I uh, when I started researching it, I looked up. I'm a visual person, so I like looked up some images, like yeah. if there's any that were drawn and stuff. And all that kept popping up was like this fantasy Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, like, sure. Like I think there's a lot of uh, of fringe uh, sci-fi ish uh, realms that have kind of commandeered that name mm-hmm. and, and used yes. it for yeah. Yeah, I think there's even some movies, some horror movies that actually have been made. Yeah. That are called Leviathan. And, right. Yeah. yeah. One thing that, that kind of made me chuckle is when we first decided to do this, I, I thought of the Leviathan in the night before 
my kids had watched Hotel Transylvania. Oh, okay. And at the end, there's like this evil dragon that, that dances to this weird keyboard music. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just imagine Leviathan is this thing. Of, wait, wait, that's, that's not helpful for the study. You know, I, I couldn't help but think of uh, Napoleon Dynamite through this where he's like, scientists have been talking about Nessie and like <laughs> it just got me because I was like am I doing research on Nessie right now and I don't even know it that's hilarious <laughs> Sir Godfrey of the Wizard Alliance yeah exactly they've been they've been casting spells of protection upon the Scottish Lakes as they've been trying to conceal the identity of Nessie <laughs> that was his report that's at one point in the movie hysterical it's so great yeah all right, so since we've accurately set the scene so far on Leviathan for you guys, <laughs> we're going to distort the waters even further with some uh, some ancient ideas, um, extra biblical, of what uh, some of the ancient people believed about this thing. Uh, are you ready to go into that, Josh? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, the Jewish Midrash. According to some old rabbinical literature, God created a male and female Leviathan on the fifth day of creation. And then shortly after, God killed the female, lest the halfling offspring destroy the world. The writings also note that God's plan was to feed this female Leviathan uh, that he slayed to the righteous at the advent of the coming Messiah. So I do have a theory that this rabbi who who wrote this uh, could possibly have dropped some acid before putting pen to paper, but that, that's just my, that's just my personal oh my theory. There's there's a few um, other characteristics of the, the Leviathan notated uh, by this this person who wrote that. I was uh, thinking it, he was just looking forward to a seafood dinner. That he was, no yeah. kidding. Uh, but uh, the other stuff that the the midrash noted was. The body and eyes of Leviathan uh, had an illuminating appearance. Wow! But um, so yeah, perhaps that was merely some entertaining bedtime stories yeah. invented for the children of that day. But nevertheless, it's part of a Jewish midrash. Okay, that sounds more again like Napoleon Dynamite, pretty <laughs> much of my favorite mythical creature. Or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, not the liger, yeah, the Leviathan, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. But so, we don't think it's a myth necessarily. Let's yeah, talk yeah, about that, and right? we will. Yes, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, however, the ancient records don't stop there with that midrash. We also have ancient Canaanite records, um, and the story on their end is found on some Ugaritic religious texts. And the story is intertwined with some pagan gods we're going to be familiar with from the Old Testament. And according to some scholars, this pagan god named Yam, which is uh, the Hebrew word for sea, is the same deity as Lotan, which would be translated Leviathan. Mm. Uh, Lotan is depicted to have seven heads. And uh, in this story, think of Yam as Leviathan, because mm. that's kind of how they, they've connected the dots on that. He said, I am what I am. Very, very nice. <laughs> this is terrible. Clever. Clever beast. Clever girl. <laughs> that's from Jurassic Park, since we're in the realm. Yeah, you better explain that one. <laughs> sounded weird. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the story goes that Yam approached the supreme pagan god named El and requested not only a kingship, but also that the god Baal be handed over as a bondservant to Yam. El agreed to this, but Baal refused the command, which led to Baal engaging Yam in battle. And Baal defeated Yam, which resulted in Baal being awarded the kingship. Sounds very War of the Titans. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, of course, that's that's usually how this type of mythology goes, and it's sometimes fun to research these tales and even watch movies about you know that kind of thing. But obviously, understanding them as believers. Uh, to be just that, because we know the one true God. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that you found that, because I found, I mean, I guess virtually the same story. Mine didn't have as many of the uh, the details colored in, but it talked about Baal, uh, who was part of the pantheon of Canaanite gods, killed the mythical chaos monster Leviathan. And it says, when you killed Lotan, the fleeing serpent, you annihilated the twisty serpent, the potentate with seven heads. Oh, okay, so, so like, so like, there was a variant that emerged from Lotan. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and he was like, "Don't get it twisted. I'm coming after you." <laughs> <laughs> and I did see where there was some that that mentioned like a coiling serpent and mm-hmm. a flying serpent. Yes. And so there's there's some variants of this thing. Yeah, and thought to be there's some roots there in the word Leviathan. Should I just go there real quick? Yeah, do it. So the name Leviathan is derived from the root. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> it's I W Y. I don't know how to say that. I thought you like had a silent burp. I did. Oh why? Oh why? Um, because in the this this is weird because the Hebrew word is Leviathan. And that's how the guy on the Strong's uh, says it. He says Leviathan. But when I researched the root word, it says Leva, which I think I'm saying it right there. Uh, It means twist or coil. And it also means the sinuous one, which is designating a kind of a serpent. So twisty or coily, um, spindly kind of thing like that. Okay. That sounds very snaky. Yes, yeah. Like the Nakash in the the garden. Exactly, which um, that word serpent, the Nakash, at times um, throughout the Old Testament is used both in an aquatic sense and in a land sense at, at times. So that word, I, I just shot from the hip. I am, boy, I'm proud of myself. So it's <laughs> to me, it's never necessarily referred to as the Leviathan, the, yes. the Nakash. But it has connections. But it has connections, yes. Okay. Because there is, that, um, there is that passage, like you mentioned, in Isaiah chapter 27, where it says Leviathan, and then it says that crooked serpent. And then it says, Leviathan, that twisted serpent. And then it says, and he, referring to God, will slay the reptile that is in the sea. So when you look at Isaiah 27, 1, it actually has three different words uh, right there that refer to a different type of serpent that's in the sea. The Leviathan, Nakash, and then also uh, the Tanin. Tanine. Yeah. Was that reptile or dragon? Tanine is dragon, serpent, sea monster, dinosaur, or venomous snake. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost, I get the feeling that if we, and we'll get there, listener, if this is not mythological or metaphorical, there might be variants of this thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's other places in Ezekiel that refer to a tanine. That I think might just be a crocodile because of the location and the like, the geography and the way that um, God is talking to someone very specific. Gotcha. But I, I, this this is so fascinating to me. No kidding. I was like three different types of dragons in one verse. I will camp out here for the rest of my study time. <laughs> <laughs> that is too cool. Dragons, serpents. You know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's one of one of them. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Um, and then just I had one more historical mention, and that would be the Book of Enoch, where it mm. says, "In the days of Enoch, there was a male and female version of this creature. Uh, it was the female whose name was Leviathan. It says, and the male's name was Behemoth." And I find that pretty interesting because we're fixing to dive into the book of Job where we see both the Leviathan and Behemoth mentioned as uh, these fearsome and majestic creatures that God made. Mm-hmm. And uh, many scholars do believe that Job could be the oldest book in the Bible, so that's just some cool stuff to chew on. Uh, as we've said, sometimes these extra-biblical sources can be helpful. Not always, but sometimes. And uh, I just found that really, really interesting in the book of Enoch, mentioning both of those names. Yeah. Yeah, because I started to ponder what the significance of Job being one of the oldest books in the Bible and referring to both Behemoth, which I think should be another word in the word at some point, mm-hmm. and Leviathan um, going, okay, is, is it something that they would have more readily known about then? But then you have David referring to Leviathan in the Psalms, mm-hmm. and we know that David would have been more like... 900 BC versus Job, which could possibly as far back as 2100 BC. Yeah. So a big chunk of time. But yeah. Both talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I have a reference later on. I'll mention that was like way on this side of Jesus's birth and death and all Wait, that. You're talking about the revelation one, aren't you? No, I'm talking no. about some Anglo-Saxon reporting where some Vikings saw some some, some, some something something. <laughs> That's, I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. So, the direction I go next in my notes um, is diving into what the Bible says about Leviathan. Yeah. Uh, and the way I do it is addressing each passage through the lens of what scholarly opinions are about this creature being described. Sure. Uh, the order would be uh, one: scholars who are adamant that these passages are metaphorical. Two, scholars believe that this was a real creature. And three, scholars who believe that this was a literal creature, but the poetic descriptions of it were just describing animals um, that we're familiar with today, mm. like the crocodile. And we'll, we'll kind of get into all of that. So the first scripture I go to is Job 3.8, and I'll just go ahead and read that. Yeah. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan wasn't a very long reading, but it mentions <laughs> Leviathan. Yeah. And the context of this passage is where Job is wishing he was never born. Because remember, Job is going through some of the greatest loss that we could imagine as a human being. And he's referring to his existence as those days of blackness and gloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's basically considering his life to be cursed. And those who curse days, he's saying, curse that day, that day I was yes, born. exactly. Um, This is what the Moody Bible Commentary has to say about this verse. The Leviathan, verse 8, was a seven-headed sea monster in the ancient Near Eastern mythology, although some commentators believe it referred to a crocodile of the Nile River. The mythological understanding fits the context better, since Leviathan was believed to swallow the sun or moon, thus causing the darkness that would occur in an eclipse. For example... Job was not expressing his belief in mythology, but simply using a common idea of his day to illustrate his desire for the day of his birth to be swallowed up and disappear. Wow. So the only two options the Moody Bible commentary gives is that this is mythological 
or a crocodile. <laughs> I think this would, um, and obviously, Josh, do you have anything to add to that? No, not not right there. Right, okay, so I, I think this would be a good time to go ahead and merge one of the other mentions of Leviathan in Scripture, which mm-hmm. is Psalm 74, because this passage could also very easily be considered mythological, just the way it's written. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 74, uh, 12 through 14 says this, But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power, who broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. So there is yet another mention of this multiple-headed creature. And I would say it's probably this Psalm 74 mention of Leviathan that spawned that one scribe who may or may not have been on acid to come up with that whole feeding the crushed heads mm-hmm. to the righteous when the Messiah comes. Yeah. Because um, it, it's it almost, it, it sounds very, very much so kind of like the Canaan ideas of the seven-headed and all. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the way that you read that because... As I read verse 13, it says, smash the heads of the sea monsters and then crush the heads of Leviathan. And I never put together that it could refer to seven heads there versus like multiple heads of multiple Leviathans. And I didn't even think about it the way you just said. So yeah, that's true. It could be talking about multiple Leviathan who got their one head crushed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, like like that internet fade that's going around to Cotton Eye Joe. Have you seen that guy? He's doing like the... I don't know if I have. He's doing a clock stomp on a bunch of different cans. Anyway, it's so stupid. I probably shouldn't have mentioned it. That's but great. anyway, I just could imagine God just going around to like different sea serpent heads and be like, pff, pff, pff. that's a fantastic visual, Josh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but earmark that in your Google search. I will. I will. Um, So moving on, I believe that there certainly is another option other than myth or crocodile coming in the next Job scripture. But as for these passages that really do sound poetically mythological, let's assume this might possibly be pulling from what people were familiar with to make an intentional point. And the question is, could this be speaking in mythological terms? And we'd have to say maybe. Because this certainly wouldn't be the first time that we've seen writings in the Bible draw from what people believed about uh, the false pantheon, like you mentioned earlier, of the pagan gods. And oftentimes, biblical um, poets or a prophet would include a pagan idea poetically Mm -hmm. and twist it as a put-down to those gods. Uh, For example, one commentator notes the following. The Psalms pick up some of the phrases and expressions that were popular during that time. But this does not mean that the Psalms were copied from the literature of the Ugarit, which would be referring to the pagan Canaanite beliefs. Mm-hmm. Psalm 104 is remarkably similar to the Egyptian hymn to Aton in its use of poetic parallelism in the thoughts of some verses. Although these similarities are too close to be incidental, a close comparison of the two poems show that the biblical poem is clearly monotheistic and quite different from the Egyptian poem in structure. Hmm. So there's there's quite a few instances where scholars believe this type of thing happens. Uh, and when we also study many of the other types of poetry employed by the biblical writers, we see that they had uh, different ways of getting their points across through um, some of the fancy scholarly terms were uh, complete parallelism, incomplete parallelism, and climactic parallelism. I can't believe I didn't stutter on those. But um, when we understand some of that, uh, we could possibly say 
possibly say that Job and the Psalms were referring to this Leviathan in a poetic way of, of expressing an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, I think this idea will take a drastic turn to a different realm because this Leviathan starts to become a little more flesh and blood. But there's that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as soon as we get to the other verses that refer to Leviathan, mm-hmm. it gets real, it real really fast. Does. It does. Yeah. Did you want to go to Isaiah next, or did you want to go straight to the to the, the heart of the issue? Why don't you take us to Isaiah? Okay, so I mentioned it already, um, but Isaiah 27.1 says, In that day the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. A lot of commentators that I read feel like this right here is actually um, inserted as a symbolism or an embodiment of a spiritual force representative of Satan. Mm. And um, of course, we know that in the New Testament, there's also a reference to Satan as that serpent. I think we go all the way to, is it Revelation chapter 12? Is that correct? Yeah, I, that's where I saw one mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, so it's it's of course the the Hebrew and the Greek don't you know play nice together at times yeah, because true. it's like it's not the same words. But um, we know that Satan in the Bible is referred to as a serpent, and so I feel like in this realm of of um, interpretation for this verse. You don't necessarily have to believe that this is a um, realistic Leviathan that Isaiah is referring to, but more of a um, of an idea of a of a force yeah. that God is going to conquer. And it's yeah, yeah, you're right because it, it's something that the biblical writers do. Mm-hmm. They they do that. Yeah, they use symbolism. They use um, uh, imagery. They use metaphors. And I think of. Jesus is referred to as the Lion of Judah, mm-hmm. and then Satan's also referred to as is roaming like a roaring lion. Yes. So there's also this this idea that Leviathan can represent Satan, but at the same time, this is a creature that God might have made that is nothing like Satan. Yeah. Can I read Psalm 104 in light of that Isaiah one? Or do sure. you go do you go there in a little bit? No, go for it, please. Okay, so the Isaiah scripture was talking about how it was in the waters and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 104, 24 through 26 says, How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number. Living things both large and small, there is ships to go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Mm. So he's talking about all these wonderfully made creatures, yes. and, and Leviathan is included by name yeah. as this majestic creature that sailors would see. Yeah, not in a negative context. Yeah. Spiritually, not in like, yeah, go kill it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so could it be uh, symbology? Yeah, but... Also, no. Mm-hmm. And boy, Job 41 takes us there. That's where we have to go because there is no <laughs> negative statements made about yeah. Leviathan there. That's right. Um, yeah, so Job 41, it, it's a portion where God's responding to Job on the nature and power of God. Uh, while Job mentioned the Leviathan back in chapter 3, 
God's going to expand on the Leviathan here in chapter 41. And the way this goes down, I find it very hard to justify this idea that God is describing something mythical. Mm -hmm. Uh, And while it's a chunk, I think we should read the entire (laughs) thing, uh, the entire chapter of Job 41, because the entire thing's dedicated to describing the Leviathan. Yes, yeah, and I thought it was so interesting that even the end of chapter 40 is dedicated to describing the behemoth. Yeah. Which, again, another we're, we're weird gonna, in the word at some point. It, well, and I'm actually going to intertwine both okay. behemoth here in a minute. Okay. So I will get a little bit into the Okay, behemoth. good. All right. So, yeah, we need to read this whole thing because it's all pertinent. Um, I was thinking because it's 34 verses, how about we just take turns reading four and then tagging in and out. Okay. Uh, I'm not the best at counting, but I'll try to keep it Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to do math right okay. now. Um, so I'll start. Uh, verse one. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird, or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons, or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields, tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between them. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of lights. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream out of its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze, and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as a rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron treats it like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged pot shards, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. I mean, that wow. was a lot to take in. That's hardcore. It really is. Yeah. We, we've definitely got some highlights to unpack here. Definitely. <laughs> so do you want to start us off, Josh, or do you want me to? Can I say one thing right away? Yeah. So um, 
verse one, as Adam Clark says, the Septuagint has the words axios de draconta, which translates canst thou draw out the dragon it's my favorite thing <laughs> it's my new favorite tar- canst ter- thou draw out the dragon canst thou draw out the dragon i'm just gonna say it just that over and over awesome. yeah yeah i just thought it was so such fun yeah i'm that's i think that's gonna be my new phrase when chasing my kids through the hallway <laughs> that's awesome canst thou draw out the dragon yeah that is fantastic <laughs> yeah i love that Yeah, so the number one thing that I notice in this chapter is that any person that encounters this creature is not going to forget it. No. Um, Forget the mythological aspect. I read several different commentaries on Job 41, and the ones that tried to describe this as mythological imagery were, in my opinion, embarrassing. Yes. I'm not trying to be... Uh, Mr. Know-it-all or, you know, put down commentators because God knows they're smarter than me. But Mm -hmm. it it really was, in my opinion, embarrassing. Uh, There's just no way you could convince me that the way God described the Leviathan in Job 41 was make-believe. And why would he use a make-believe animal to display his power? For real. It's almost like he he would be pulling from pagan gods to describe himself. Yes. That doesn't sound right. No, that's not God at all. There is just too much detail in this creature that pointed to the reader reflecting on something they have seen in order to compare it to God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have more to say about that in a minute, but not quite yet. Yeah. Um, the very first verse is of special interest to me because of the way the Leviathan's tongue is described. All right, you ready for this, Josh? I am. Okay. Uh, this At this point, it actually merges the creature behemoth into the mix as well. Um, verse 1 says, Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? And the reason I love that verse is because the ancient historian Pliny the Elder He notated exactly what the people of the day knew about the hippopotamus and crocodile. Because remember, certain scholars and skeptics say, uh, they try to say behemoth and leviathan are the modern day hippopotamus and crocodile. Mm -hmm. Even certain Bible translations like the Amplified Bible put in brackets after it says those names, hippopotamus and crocodile, Mm -hmm. to describe them. But Pliny writes the following about our modern creatures. It... The crocodile is the only land creature without a tongue and the only one that bites by pressing with its upper movable jaw. So we now know that the crocodile does in fact have a tongue, Mm -hmm. but they're located in the mouth in a way that that seems non-existent. The point being, these ancient writers did not know that. Mm. They thought it didn't have a tongue. So why in the world would they describe this tongue as something you needed to hold down with a cord when people of the day believed that they didn't have tongues? Wow. I thought that was extremely interesting. And secondly, in Job 40, the behemoth is described as a creature with a tail that sways like a cedar tree. Rivers rush into its mouth and it cannot be caught by humans when it is on watch. But check this out. Pliny actually writes the following about a Roman who caught these creatures for a circus act. Pliny writes, Marcus Scarus was the first to put a hippopotamus together with five crocodiles on a show at Rome when he staged the games during his aedileship. They were kept in an artificial lake. So you mean to tell me 
that this Roman caught one behemoth and five Leviathan and put them together in the kiddie pool while they waited for their turn in the festivities. <laughs> we are clearly not talking about these. When you mentioned that, I was like, well, which one of them did he catch? I didn't realize that he was going to have caught both. That's what was so awesome about yeah. what Pliny wrote down is yeah. he literally, both animals they're describing, this guy caught them all yeah. together. Yeah. Five Leviathan, one behemoth, not happening. Well, I, I saw a TikTok the other day where a guy was like talking about caring for crocodile yeah. in, in like a Florida Everglade reserve or whatever. And one of them came up and it wasn't their turn to eat and he like smacked it. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that's really what Leviathan would would allow to have happen. Leviathan wouldn't stood for that. No. <laughs> and just according to Job 41, he that, that ain't going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and now um, moving on to verses 6 through 10. Uh, will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? Verse 9, in hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Um, and then verse 13, who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Mm. Okay, so anyone who's ever watched the show Swamp People knows full well that these crocodiles and alligators are in fact caught with fish hooks. Mm -hmm. People do arouse these creatures for the very purpose of stripping off their outer armor. And for crying out loud, there's nutcases that jump on the backs of these things while they're still alive and wrestle them. And the point is, if knives can cut the skin off crocodiles, then swords could do worse. Mm -hmm. If fish hooks can reel in crocodiles, then arrows could do worse. And everything we're seeing in Job 41 is completely saying that that doesn't happen with this creature. No. None of that happens with this creature. And we've got, you know, Hillbilly and the Sticks jumping on the back. I'm just saying, and no, no offense. I'm sorry. It, it, it's been a dream of mine, so no offense to you. <laughs> but the point being, <coughs> sorry. this stuff happens for fun for some people. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's too just, funny. You know, I don't think it's happening on the Job Forty One description. I'm gonna get you the Florida Everglade experience. Dude, Gator wrestling. It. It's a dream. <laughs> it's 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 out there. You can do it. You can pay and buy a ticket. Oh man, I'll look into that. I like the New Living Translation says verse eight as if you lay a hand on it, you will certainly remember the battle that follows. You won't try that again. Yeah. And it has an exclamation point after that. It's like, yeah, that that's one mistake that you're going to learn from. Yeah. Going to learn today. And I've seen on that show the secondary moment where he says, hold my beer. So mm -hmm. I know <laughs> he's going back in. He's going back in yeah. a second time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, if none of those, I, I found those very convincing, by mm -hmm. the way. But yeah. if none of those um, verses convince you, listener, then I now turn to verses 18 through 21 that says it's snorting throws out flashes of light. Eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Breath sets coals ablaze. Flames dart from its mouth. Mm. And maybe you're thinking, Josh, Steve. Surely, this is mythological. We're talking about fantasy creatures from medieval folklore, you know, dragons for crying out loud. And, and I would ask, are we? 
Are we really, you know, does this actually go too far for our day of knowledge? And I would go, first off, do you have anything to say on that, Josh? Oh, I'm just making faces because okay. I'm waiting to hear what you have <laughs> okay. to say because I do have some things to weigh in, but All I right. don't want to jump the gun. I'm going to go to the term dragon, which was first coined by a certain Richard Owen as the term dinosauria, meaning terrible reptile. Um, and he did that in the 1800s. Before that time, the word for dinosaur was dragon. Hmm. And I've got to jump in for any listeners out there right here um, who are fixing to turn off the episode because you know where we're headed with this. We're now in the realms of evolution. And I know that this is a hot button topic for many people. And if you're one of those people, then I would plead with you to just hear us out until the end of this episode because there might be more to this than you think. It's not just a brainless, I believe the Bible is the literal word of God. Hmm. There is something to this. So I would ask you to to stick with us. Give us a chance. Yeah. Yeah. So as for fire breathers, um, this does sound very far-fetched. And I'll admit it, when I first read this in Scripture, I was tempted to lean towards the poetic side of interpretation. But as I studied for this uh, back when I was writing my book, I discovered that, that this idea is not at all absurd. And just real quick, I would like to take a look at some creatures that exist today that seem like science fiction. Hmm. And the first creature I'd like to point out is the African bombardier. Well, I'm not going to be able to say that. Bombardier. 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 Bombardier beetle. (laughs) And um, did you have this too, I do, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, A man named Derek Isaacs writes the following about this creature um, that's alive today. When faced with an attack, the beetle fires a scalding chemical solution out of dual cannons from its rear abdomen. The solution reaches 212 degrees Fahrenheit, the boiling point of water. This scalding concoction can be aimed at a moment's notice and fire from any direction with crosshair accuracy. Once the ammo hits, there is a chemical burn that can continue to be seen and spread for a few moments. The beetle does not just fire one blast. It fires a series of blasts, kind of like rapid-fire discharge, normally in a series of five pulses. Isaac continues, Doctor, this is, I'm not going to say it, it's something German with SCH, (laughs) uh, discovered that the beetle's specially designed combustion tubes are two enzymes called catalase, catalase and peroxidase, which make chemical reactions go millions of times faster. These chemicals catalyze the extremely rapid decomposition of hydrogen peroxide into water and oxygen and the oxidation of hydroquinone into quinone, causing them to violently react and explode, but not so soon as to blow up the beetle, of course. Mm. That was a lot of stuff right there, but I just wanted you to understand this beetle is intense. I mean... (laughs) Seriously. He blows... He blows some intense stuff out his rear it's virtually chemical fire yeah yeah which is insane oh, I, I probably didn't leave you any room to, to expand you, on it Josh. you had more than i had so that's pretty awesome i just i find that extremely fascinating with this beetle it, i mean that that sounds sci-fi it, it does. really does it does yeah and, and then one more um he had taco bell <laughs> yes he did <laughs> sorry <laughs> at a moment's notice the braid burritos ready at the at the weight <laughs> oh gosh that's great okay so our next exhibit this is a quote our next exhibit is the electrophorus electricus the electric eel 
These eels have the ability to let off a shock up to 600 volts. Isaac continues, such voltage can kill an adult human. In captivity, these eels have been known to light up Christmas trees. Wow. So as we consider these creatures that are alive today, it's not going out on a limb to say that fire-breathing dragons could have existed, especially considering what we see in the fossil record. And what we see is that ancient animals were even more intense back then in size and ability than they are now. Mm. Uh, dragonflies, they have found our same version of dragonfly with a two to three foot wingspan in the fossil wow. record. The, the animals were more intense back then. And if you think of the bombardier beetle, in electric eel, think about those on on steroids a hundredfold back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. Very believable. Don't give them protein powder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I'll jump in with my little Viking story here. Yeah, for um, sure. In the year 793 AD, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reports that when Vikings raided Lindisfarne Island in northern England and robbed the monastery, fiery dragons were seen in the sky. Now... That's just one of those weird, like, reporting issues where it made it into the local newspaper somehow. I don't know if there's any credence to that, but I think it's interesting that either the Vikings saw something for real or they just had a little too much uh, christening wine. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you were talking about... are there different things? Are there different even variations of this Leviathan that were sea dwelling and then possibly even could take flight? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, that you know, and the skeptics they really go after um, news reports back then. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there are reports like that. Um, there's a, a book. I think it's like David Dewhurst or something. Uh, I think that's his name. Very respectable. Uh, journalist back in the day who who lays out all these newspaper articles mm. of his his topic is giants yeah. but um, there that is something that I find very fascinating. So I'm going to come at you from left field because I tried to research this today, but I'm yeah. probably going to have to clear my Google searches. Um, <laughs> okay. and so please forgive me as I present this. Uh, that I saw the other day that some people say that there are some sea serpent type of mythological stories that have formed um, because of whales that swim at the surface on their backs with their uh, genitals in the air. Oh, that took me off guard. Yeah, wow. me too. So, Nessie? I mean, Nessie. Nessie. Nessie could be just oh my word. A, a male member. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's... Uh... That's not mythological. No. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's uh, that's uh, also a side I don't want to see. Yeah, that's physiological. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's biological. <laughs> so there you go. It's biological. I try. I tried to research it, and now I just feel guilty about my Google. So I'm gonna go home and and clear them cookies. That that's pretty crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes our studies lead us down the weirdest rabbit holes. They do. <laughs> We hope you are enjoying this. Yes. Um, since you went historical, Josh, um, I have a few um, few historical points I was uh, looking at as well. Um, historian Josephus, in his Antiquities of the Jews, Book 2, Chapter 10, 
writes about an extra-biblical account of Moses as he operated in the family of Pharaoh. And Josephus writes about a strategy that Moses employed to be able to cross a particular piece of land that was plagued, no pun intended, with these deadly serpent creatures, mm. um, not snakes. They called them serpents. But um, uh, And then another historian by the name of Herodotus writes about these same types of serpents. He says, It is said that when the winged snakes fly to Egypt from Arabia in spring, the Ibes meet them at the entrance to the pass and do not let them get through, but kill them. Mm. So there's these creatures that we're not familiar with now, um, or at least I don't think I can compare the, these flying serpents. Yes. Um, not the way they're described there. But then uh, those those were cool. But also a 15th century bishop, I found this one very interesting. Uh, Richard Bell was consecrated bishop of Carlisle in the mid to late 1400s and remained so until nearly the end of his life in A.D. 1496. His tomb is covered by a rug at the Carlisle Cathedral located in the UK. Beneath the rug can be found a slender piece of brass that runs along the edge of the tomb. On this brass edging is engraved birds, fish, an eel, bat, dogs. And one portion of the brass contains engravings of creatures with interlocking necks resembling dinosaurs. And there's no mistaking these engravings as other animals. If you've seen The Land Before Time, we're talking long necks here. <laughs> That's exactly. And you can you can Google this. Um, you can visit this place and look at it, but you can oh, Google wow. this picture. Um, author Derek Isaacs, again, uh, writes the following about what this means on the tomb of a bishop in that time. In the 15th century, no man on earth was supposed to know about any such dinosaur. Yet those in England were so moved by these creatures that they carved them into the tomb of a bishop. The facts are that this engraving is in a church on the tomb of a powerful bishop who lived and died in the 15th century. There are ramifications to each one of those facts. During the 15th century, there was a belief in the church that God would not allow any animal kinds to go extinct. That means that if a creature was not around to be seen in that day, then it was never around. It was never a creation to begin with. That means that if the creatures that looked like dinosaurs were not existent, but were truly mythical without any bearing in reality, then the carver of these who put them on a powerful Christian bishop's tomb would have been guilty of incorporating pagan religion and ideas into the burial tomb of a powerful bishop. Wow, that, that would get really serious. Yeah, he, Isaac elaborates on the fact that in the 15th century, such an action as to carve a mythical creature on a bishop's tomb would have been considered a heresy, resulting in the excommunication of the engraver and all who approved the engraving. This excommunication would be coupled with the belief of an individual being damned for eternity, and they could be burned at the stake as a sign of entering this damnation. So he's not just a tattoo artist. Yeah. You know, imagining something. Yeah, and if you Google the image of this, the, the I mean, it's clearly long-necked dinosaur, mm -hmm. uh, sauropod, I think they're called, or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, if they had done that, and uh -huh. that wasn't something they had seen in the fence, that, I know what that sounds like, guys, were yeah. long necks around in the 15th century, I think they might have been. Because wow. this, this is suggesting everything to, if they had done that, and this was not a creature they recognized, that's bad news. Wow. I, and uh, so I, I found that uh, very revealing in this topic. And uh, if you have time, listener, I would encourage you to read uh, the book Dragons or Dinosaurs by Derek Isaacs. And another one that I found very helpful was uh, Vance Nelson wrote a book called Untold Secrets of Planet Earth. 
and uh, or it might be Dire Dragons. One of those is the subtitle, but I've got it here <laughs> next to me. <laughs> but um, if you look that one up, uh, Vance Nelson, he goes through every country that had ancient written records and like castles where they did engravings of creatures, and they match like exact dinosaur wow. depictions that we know of now. Oh, that's awesome! Really cool. Yeah. And then I, I did, uh, I did want to go. Just a little further in this idea of uh, depictions of dinosaurs and whatnot, and it would be, I don't go as far as I wanted to go, but it's with the Native Americans and the Indians, and, and uh, not just in America, but across in that era of time, across the world. Mm-hmm. There were so many different depictions that, that those people put on, on their mounds, on their structures and stuff. It was just it was fantastic yeah. as I was researching it. Uh, in that Vance Nelson book, we'll go into a lot of that. But I do have to mention the two scientific rebuttals when it comes to the explanation of how ancient people were able to draw dinosaurs with such precision. And the two things that I've heard is that Indians found their bones in the ground and reconstructed them in drawings. And the obvious flaw in this is that bones don't show soft tissue. No. Um, many Indians drew depictions of dinosaurs with a perfect representation of soft tissue parts. Wow. And you don't find that in bones. You don't find that. And half the time, these museums, I, I've, I've read, I read several articles where museums, you know how they put them together and, and display them. <laughs> yeah. Where like, like 20, 30 years later, like, oh, we got the part wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it didn't have a, 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 a fluke or something, you know? Yeah. But, um. Anyway, that that's just very hard for me to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Indians considered graveyards and bones very sacred. Yeah. They would not have disturbed remains like that. Mm. And uh, even if they did, soft tissue. It's, it's just a big problem for me on that. Yeah. And then uh, the other rebuttal that I've heard is that humans still have um, evolutionary memories uh, so terrifying of our fight with these creatures that we can still remember good enough to draw them. I know that sounds bad. That is something that is that is believed. Uh, basically, back from when we were a lizard or something, we remembered the fight. I wish I could just broadcast the face that I'm making. <laughs> if you if you uh, don't believe me, listener, uh, Carl Sagan, uh, who Richard Dawkins, if you have studied evolution, you know that name. Mm-hmm. He uh, follows Carl Sagan very much so. And Sagan is the one who came up with that. He says, and I quote, we are descended from reptiles and mammals both. In the daytime, repression of the R-complex, and in the nighttime, stirring of the dream dragons. We may each of us be replaying the hundred million year old warfare between the reptiles and mammals. Wow. And that's that's literally a theory. And I, I just, I, I kind of am relieved that that's the the best they can bring yeah just because it, it really that goes to to the the belief of a christian that god's word is is real and all that and mm-hmm. that's that's the best they got and there's a reason for that wow because you, you can't explain these drawings yeah yeah i i just answer them with salty silence because <laughs> that is just that is terrible it is isn't it but uh, that's that's all I have for the historical part. I, I do want to mention uh, one more thing on C14 testing. But, yeah, uh, please. You want me to go there? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so um, carbon-14. Uh, and if you've ever looked into carbon-14, um, you know that certain dates in rocks and stuff, they've been really off in dates. They're not always 100% accurate. But with carbon-14, if something has C14 in it, 
it is not millions of years old. Mm. It can't be because of the way this stuff degrades. So one study that amazes me was done at the University of Georgia, and the lab was sent a bone from a hadrosaur, um, but the lab wasn't aware of what they were dating. And the results were recorded April 10th, 2007, and they confirmed that the bone was thousands of years old, not millions. Wow. The dinosaur bones have been excluded for so long from C14 dating because of the presuppositions in science. They're like, don't even date it. And so they actually, they pulled this little sneaky thing off and they said, hey, we found this. Could you date it? They did. Boom. But they didn't tell them it's a dinosaur bone. They did not tell them it was a dinosaur bone. Wow. And there's, and I, again, there's a lot more I wanted to bring on this. And Josh and I have discussed, we're going to do another um, series (laughs) of of an evolution episode, (laughs) which we'll go real deep into this. But there's other instances where uh, this one, this one uh, instance, they had to cut a bone in half to ship it to go to another museum or something. And they, they found soft tissue inside wow and they still had marrow and so i mean that is just so intensely cool that now, should not exist it shouldn't it shouldn't yeah, and i don't know if, if that translates to c14 but it, i would think it would have to hmm. but uh anyway that's that's something listener if you want to dive into that a little bit deeper that's that's fascinating i wish we had more time we, we just don't but um we can always do that uh, on another episode later. Yeah. But that's I'm not going to go too far into that. That's the last thing I was going to mention on on the fact that these Leviathan, you know, it, it forced us to go in those areas we just talked about. Yeah. Because mythological, um, poetic, or literal. And I, I personally believe this was a real creature. Could it have been referred to in certain parts of Scripture, um, trying to draw off of it from pagan ideas to make a point, perhaps? But I, I believe this was a real creature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To think that it's only um, a poetic form of speech expressing God's power, it doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Or just a symbol or illustration as a stand-in for Satan also doesn't make sense to me because, again, typically when you point to it, an animal as a representation, you're not pointing to, one, a pagan representation, and two, you're not pointing to something that's mythical. You're pointing to something that's realistic that everyone has, to a degree, an understanding of. Yeah. And it seems like in Job's day, he had an understanding of who the behemoth and who the Leviathan were. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, because <laughs> it sounded like Job was like, hey, those sailors, if they meet the Leviathan, they're going to curse that day just like I cursed the day I was born. Yeah, yeah, it meant something to him. I mm-hmm. believe he saw it. Yes, yeah, I think so too. Or he knew it got. Or he, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hearsay. There okay. you go. No, I, I do, I do. And... um you know, at the beginning of the episode, I uh, I made the, the comment in the intro that uh, we might see what the knowledge of this creature means for us today. And I would say that talking about the Leviathan in certain conversations could lead you into a biblical discussion with some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be appealing to the fantasy crowd, you know, or even a, a scientifically minded person. And believe it or not... Um, I've had conversations start with things like this that led to a conversation about Jesus. Wow. Which, man, if that's what gets you there, whatever. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. I mean, talking about dragons in the Bible. Yeah. You know, and people being like, there's no way that that can't be true. And you're like, dragons in the Bible. Well, hold on. Well, let's look. Let's, let's get your Bible out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a chapter called Job 41. That's going to really probably uh, pique your interest. Yeah. And that, that might be the, the bridge to get them to open up that Bible and, and discover what this podcast is really about. Yes. Yeah. So one off-the-wall thing that I wanted to bring that I just found really fascinating was talking about some of the um, potential animals that it could have been, uh, like suspects that we already know of in nature. That, that the are, Leviathan could have been. Yes, that are now extinct. Gotcha. But... Um, Forgive me for some of the mispronouncing of these words. Uh, one was a coronasaurus. Okay. And uh, it had a worldwide pandemic, and that's why it's gone. <laughs> I said coronasaurus. It's chronosaurus. <laughs> okay. Well, that, we're off to a good start. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's also the Leoplerodon. Okay. Leoplerodon. And then there's the Sarcosuchus imperator, which is also known as the super croc. <laughs> super croc. <laughs> yeah, I'm not joking. That's that's actually a thing. Then there's the plesiosaurus, which I thought was really cool. And then going back to our Jurassic Park ways is the mosasaurus. The mos. Oh, and that's a real creature, isn't it? Yeah. Well, or all these. Was. Yeah. I didn't know if you were trying to make a joke. No, no. <laughs> the Mosasaurus is real. The Moses, it's a Noahsaurus. It wasn't just Moses on the mountain. <laughs> have you ever have you ever been duped by that? Like, how many uh, animals did Moses take uh, onto the ark? No. Pe- I, I, Moses? Yeah, it's Noah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that one breaks your brain because you're like, two, <laughs> yes, two. I, I like, know the Bible, two. And okay. people are like, ha, it's Noah that took him on the ark. And you're like, oh, I'll punch you. Blah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I thought that was really fascinating that there are potential suspects of what Leviathan might be yeah. from what we know uh, from a dinosaur standpoint. Well, I'm a very uh, visual guy, so I'm going to have to look those names up and, and check them out on the internet. Because yeah. That, that sounds cool. I'd like to see a picture of what people think this might have been. Yes. Yeah. Well, there. Yeah. I looked up the, the plesiosaurus. Yeah. It was very plesioing to the yeah, eyes. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it looked like I just, I didn't get the fire breathing aspect of it, but it looked... Did it look mean. It looked intimidating. Razor oh. sharp teeth. No, the one that I saw didn't have scales on, and the pictures depicted. But yeah, I mean, of course, you have people out there talking about dinosaurs are evolved from birds, so yeah, uh, they're not going to have scales either. Yeah, they're going to depict them accordingly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you asked me to interject, and I thought, you know what, I want to bring dinosaur talk right That's into this really because cool. again, you're talking about. Um, the Leviathan being a dinosaur, a serpent, a dragon, all these things. Yeah, so that's true. That really that's really cool. Yeah. And I'm going to be checking out some pictures. Cool. Yeah. Uh, can I point one other thing? Because there's this whole like Leviathan versus crocodile discussion. Yeah. yeah. So there um, is the word tenine, which refers to, again, like a sea monster. And that word is used uh, with the word tan uh, in Ezekiel 32, and then also that word tanin is used in Ezekiel 29. And I remember reading this, um, going through the Bible in one year, thinking, 
is this another reference to Leviathan? But I think this is a reference to crocodile because of the way that God speaks about it. I'm just going to read a short passage. It says, I am your enemy, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you great sea monster, lurking in the streams of the Nile. For you have said, the Nile River is mine. I have made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and drag you out on the land with fish sticking to your scales. I will leave you and all your fish stranded in the wilderness to die. You will lie unburied on open ground for I have given you as food to the wild animals and birds and I appreciate that the the Hebrew word for Leviathan is not the same Hebrew word as Tanin here because that does not uh, correlate or line up with God's description of a Leviathan in any way shape or form mm. in uh, Job 41 yeah that's interesting yeah I thought that was fascinating because it's like um, you're going to be dragged out by your by your jaws with a fish hook and yeah. we know that Job 41 said that can't happen yeah and then um animals are going to eat you that doesn't necessarily happen with leviathan either you know i think that just goes to show that my theory about that one rabbi he did drop acid <laughs> because he was pulling off of that and that one song yeah <laughs> <laughs> was he he was licking toads or something yeah something he, yeah some ancient mushrooms <laughs> pulling from pagan and then twisting those <laughs> yeah i don't know because that doesn't make any sense no you're right that's that's very that's a that would be a, a contradiction seemingly yes and i just i wonder those that do say that the animal in Job 41 is described as a crocodile. I just wonder how they overcome the the fire-breathing aspect yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And and I, I did read one that was like, you know how when crocodiles come to the surface and they snort out air, it kind of looks like steam and smoke? I'm like, whoa, what in the world? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't talk. I've heard that. Yeah. It, it just... And I know this is not one of those essentials where it's like you don't believe that there's a that there's a real dragon. We can't be brothers. That's, That's part not, of our essential beliefs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have the deity of Christ, and we have the realness of Leviathan as not a crocodile. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> We're starting our own church right there. Oh my gosh, that's oh, terrible. That is, yeah. <laughs> Tongue and cheek, guys. The you church of Leviathan. Yes, please. That is. <laughs> Absolutely sarcasm and just joking. And and I did the also the tongue thing too. I found that really yeah. cool about yeah. just all the descriptions in Job forty one just didn't match up to that. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, that's that's the the, 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 the that's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Leviathan guys, and we we hope you enjoyed the episode. I, I had a, a blast studying this. Yes, thing. for real. Yeah, I mean just. Like even the nerd side of me that loves J.R.R. Tolkien and yeah. different kinds of things, I was like, man, I can't read enough about this. For real, it was it was a really fun study. And please reach out to us if y'all have any ideas for a weird in the word. Maybe you're like, man, I didn't realize you guys would do something like this. Yeah, we will. Yeah, and so we'll we'll do whatever is in scripture that that you don't hear very often. Send us a weird in the word idea if you have one. That would be fantastic. You can do that to our Facebook by messaging us or sending us an email directly to connect at basnakebird.com. We will get it and we'll respond to you as quick as possible yeah if you have a a family member or a dear friend that's on uh, the edge of 
of anything and you need them to know about Leviathan, go ahead and share this episode <laughs> to uh, whatever platform and give us a good rating and uh, five stars if you deem us worthy. Uh, some good words on there. It really, all joking aside, it, it really helps us more than you know if you could do that. It, it helps grow the base. It helps us get out there for more people to see. It's all those things. Yeah, and they can learn about Leviathan. Yes. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to? Yeah. yeah, for real. Exactly. So we love you guys. We really do. Always remember, Snakebirds, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Don't fight the Leviathan <laughs> and be a Snakebird. the struggle and never do it again any, any oh i'm sorry that's okay any hope of seducing you really don't count do you no <laughs> i told you <laughs> doctor uh, i'm not even gonna be able to say it slidgenick slidge slid slidgenick i like it oh <laughs> let me try to say this again i will put these hooks in your drawers and in your jaws and <laughs> I'm sorry I'm so sorry hooks in your draws hooks in your draws I'm sorry <clears throat> you're making fun of my speech you better <clears throat>